1: So today's interview is about cotton. I know it sounds kind of dull. It sounds kind of interesting. But the reality is that most of what you're wearing is probably made of cotton. I know it is for me. Uh, And uh, we're, we're talking today to a professor out of the University of Guelph who's written a new book called interestingly enough, cotton, Adam Snade. He's a political scientist. He's a good guy. He's got a great sense of humor. And he's also an international development scholar and, and quite an expert when it comes to commodities. So uh, you're going to enjoy this interview, period. Uh, we, we, we talk about cotton. We talk about this, uh, you know, fabric uh, of our lives. We talk about how, um, what, what does it mean uh, to be an ethical consumer? What does it mean to to actually shop you know, with some sort of uh, idea about others in mind. I mean, how odd is that? We talk about clothing poverty and and being and being better consumers, being better citizens. We talk about the Better Cotton Initiative. We talk about organic cotton and about anti-globalization. You're going to love this interview. So do stay tuned and check out Adam's book Cotton. You can find it uh, online. It's Adam Snade. Uh, coming right up. Don't forget DavidPeckLive.com for more interviews. Uh, uh, and also uh, about my book, Real Change is Incremental, and also about uh, opportunities to book me as a public speaker. And don't forget rabble.ca for even more interviews uh, from me, but also from others as well. Coming right up, Adam Stade, uh and we're talking about Cotton. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest today, uh, Associate Professor Adam Sneed at the University of Guelph. In fact, on campus. And Adam, thanks for joining us today.
0: Well, thanks so much for having me, David.
1: Yeah, no, no problem. So, so I was going to pronounce your name Sneed, but then, of course, you you quickly corrected me before the uh, the, the recorder was on. Uh, rhymes with laid or paid. So it's, so we got that sorted out right out of the gate. It sounds uh, good to me. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So we're going to talk, I, I think, about a whole lot of things. Uh, looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. But, but your, your latest book, Cotton, um, it's, it's hard to know what it's about uh, based on the title. It's, uh, it's <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, the, the resources series that, that it falls in is, is pretty straight up. So yeah, the, the yeah. other titles in the series are all one term, coffee, yeah, oil, yeah. diamonds. Yeah. And, and, and the idea, I think, behind uh, the series is really to, 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 for authors to peel back
1: the politics of, of whichever resource or commodity uh, they're writing about. So John Perkins, uh, who, who I'm a huge fan of, author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman, one of my favorite books of all time, says, quote, an important expose of the cotton industry that opens our eyes to the way many businesses manipulate the media and all of us. A telling example of why we all should look for and expose the story behind the story close quote I mean there's so much going on just in that quote alone we could talk about the story behind the story I mean Mm -hmm. I think you know and so many places to start but and I want to get to your afterward because in a way we should almost be talking only about that Mm. to me in, in the book but tell me what what is political economy
0: well I think it's it's just a it's a recognition that if if you approach the study of a of a resource or a commodity um, from a purely economics kind of a lens you might miss out on some of the situation of of the economics of that resource in politics. So I guess it's political economy is just a, a simple recognition of the fundamental inseparability of politics and economics. When you try to do an analysis you need to always take account of, of both at the same time, and it's methods or analytical tools t- to help um, students, to help people across society really understand the linkages and the fundamental connections between politics and economics.
1: And as you look back, uh, uh, as an academic, and you know your your time in Australia, and maybe we'll talk about that, and 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 what you've, the traveling you've done, and so on. Would you say you've always been a bit of a political economist?
0: Well, I think one of the the first uh, formative experiences here was just finishing high school and and being able to attend uh, the New Democratic National Convention at a very uh, dark time for the party. I think it was nineteen ninety seven. So I was uh, it was in Regina, and I was reading uh, some books by Jim Laxer around the time, and I think reading James Laxer's books, I really got a sense for, okay, wait a second, you might need to look at both politics and economics together if you want to get to the story behind the story.
1: Uh. You, t- you talk about, in the, in the book, about uh, meeting somebody, and it's uh, having, having a conversation, and, and I think the line is, uh, uh, you know, um, how, what, what was fascinating for me was the kind of, I guess, the implications, the splash and ripple effect. I mean, obviously you've been thinking about all these things. There was a bit of a tipping point. There was a bit of a, an edge adju- of this conversation that led to Cotton. Mm. You know, and you say, I was hooked after this particular... Can, can you tell me about that story? Because clearly there's a... I'm always fascinated. I mean, talk about the story behind the story. It apparently started with a person, it, I think is amazing. It, it right? did.
0: It did. I mean, I was, I was finishing up uh, my master's degree at York University working with Daniel Drache, who was an you know, eminent political economist uh, of, of uh, Canada's resource economies. And, uh, and I, I got on the, the subway. To, my, my phone was broken, and I ended up uh, in, a, in one of the cell phone stores at Yorkdale Mall having a conversation with, the, with somebody else who had just finished a master's degree about their family in Uganda and said uh, the challenges that they were facing with respect to cotton. And and I was totally hooked because I had just finished this project on the historic efforts of developing countries to try to make world trade work better for development across the Global South. So there was kind of a dovetail. Well, this cotton issue in the Global South seems to be pretty prominent, and, and this, this individual here is telling me a direct link. So it was a relational thing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. from that point forward, and that's where I went with my PhD to study. Well, I just love the,
1: the, 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 the importance of the average in the everyday, mm. you know, the extraordinary in what appears to be a meaningless subway conversation, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. It mm. kind of changed the course of your life in, in some regards, mm-hmm. and yet you wouldn't have got there had you not had the, the history probably, right, mm-hmm. had you not been doing the work at York and so on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could have just gone on in a, in a, in a, in a more academic direction, but right. I think by having that relational, you know, that, that kind of moment, I was able to, to focus my studies on something that I knew really mattered for people outside of the university. And that I think from that point forward, it was all about, okay, using academic tools in order to explain and speak to real-world challenges. So
1: you're a professional academic, and yet, can I say, is it fair to say there's a, a little bit of a tone... <laughs> Well, With respect to academia, in in the uh, in the book, the way you approach it—not not a not a disregard or a disrespect, or but but an acknowledgement maybe of its limitations—is that it? well, I don't think
0: I'm, I don't think I'm under any illusions. I don't think many academics at this point uh, are, are under uh, any illusion to having. Uh, the truth the the soul right, story right, i mean right. we have lots of uh, lots of uh, tools that can help us to get closer to, to reality but yeah i think i think in, in especially my field and, and studying uh, global resources global commodities uh, there are many people who don't acknowledge the biases that they bring to the table and and so maybe that's the tone you're talking about a little well page
1: 1 how about how about the soul route to hard knowledge Right, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. You, you talk about students asserting abstract mathematical models right mm-hmm. <laughs> first paragraph
0: yeah well as a as a political economist that's yeah. what i'm up against yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm up against very convincing uh you know other, other academics that have different approaches to knowledge and 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 I'm pushing back against that in in a
1: way i think yes uh, in, in in a way that is it is it about uh, the theory, the theoretical, practical for you? Is mm. it? About, I mean, you've spent, uh, from what I know about your history and so on, you've spent a fair bit of time on the ground. You you you've 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 connected. Uh, you know, taking those uh, let's talk about story behind the story. Right. You've been in country. You've been on. You've been on panels. You've been. Yeah. You know, uh, invited to speak, etc. Uh, yeah. t- tell me about that. That sort of. Uh, gap or lack thereof
0: well i think one of the best pieces of advice i i had going through my phd from a, a professor was you know don't keep doing the same academic thing don't keep going to the same academic hmm. conference year after nice. year after year like get out there do something well do it once do it right and then move on to something else meet new people have new experiences so so that's been part of the, the process of, of becoming a, an academic studying political economy is just to, to constantly do something once, do it well and, and move to the next thing. And and you know, that's I think that, that opens up a different kind of a world than if you just continually keep doing the same
1: thing. Do you think do you think academics to some degree uh, live in a in a in a bubble of a sort? And I mean obviously it's really always kind of unfair to just lob these types of questions mm. out because of what they sort of assume and presuppose. But but I read somewhere recently, it was a, maybe a business book, I don't know, an article talking about how, you know, you really do need to surround yourself with people of different faiths and different ideas and different belief systems and ideologies and politics mm. to, to, I don't know, expand your horizon, sure. I suppose. You know, reach out.
0: Well, the University of Guelph is, is absolutely prioritizing this kind of a thing, mm. this kind of mm. engagement, whether it's community within the city of Guelph, whether it's uh, globally. I mean, some of my colleagues have established incredible global connections in terms of engagement beyond just publishing academic articles, beyond just looking to speak to the community of academics around the world that are behind paywalls, publishing behind you know, ninety ninety dollar an article kind of stuff. Get out, that, yeah. get out
1: from behind your keyboard. Yeah,
0: exactly. And get, and use the tools that you that you're learning about to actually work with people to to help them to either better their lives, to understand the situation that they find themselves in. I think this is something that the university here has prioritized, and that's why I guess you know, we're here.
1: Do you think Do you think that's where polit- global sort of political change really starts to happen? I mean, obviously, it's got to be top-down, it's got to be bottom-up, it's got to be, you know, grassroots and, and the two meeting somewhere in the middle, I suppose, and, and, and embracing and including. But our big change is happening in the universities. This is where the, the ideas sort of are, I don't know, uh, germinating and then are hopefully uh, passed on through conferences, through mm-hmm. papers. Those few people that are reading those articles then mm-hmm. say, well, hang on a minute here. We're we're onto something, and we're getting to your book really hmm. shortly because I think your book I think your book really does bridge that divide.
0: To yeah. me, well, I think we're, we we're it's incumbent upon people who are employed by universities as, to be academics, to be researchers, to be teachers, to to do service to that university and the community, to actually be able to to use their knowledge to speak to, to, to bigger, broader social issues. And in in the case of uh, of uh, this recent work. I think you know the book here is a little more open than mm. uh, than uh, than it might be if I was writing specifically to an academic audience. I, right. I wrote it with with my third year undergrads in mind, uh, with with an as an attempt to try to help them to think through some of the, the intersections between politics and economics on a particular commodity. And 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 that's not a, an academic article in a, in a top journal. It's not a, but
1: it's a different kind of a knowledge product, if we can use that expression. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah? Interesting, yeah. yeah. Is it, well, you're very honest about that in the book, too, yeah. about, about the fact that maybe you, you were at a conference, you, you gave a paper, and were, sounded, you sounded to me like you were a little disappointed at the lack of interaction, and yet, ultimately, mm. it led places because <laughs> of the, uh, it's on, I was going to say non-academic approach, but you know, it, it was an article you had on a blog. Right. And this is amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is bridging, the, to me, that, that yeah. divide and, and getting the real work into the real world. Mm.
0: Yeah, so you're, you're talking about some uh, alleged uh, fraud in, in ethical <laughs> cotton, I believe. Yes, yes, yes which is a nice segue into, yeah. into what the book is all about.
1: And by the way, I was totally joking, obviously. The yeah. book's called Cotton. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't really need a subtitle, does it? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the geopolitics of
0: your life. Right?
1: <laughs> is is it really as bad as you lay out?
0: Well, I mean the 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 challenges are are stark.
1: The bl- the blood is on the fabric of our lives.
0: Yeah, the, it's the fabric of lives. Is, uh, the fabric of our lives has been covered uh, by blood for centuries. There's no question. Now that's something that Sven Beckert, the eminent historian from Harvard, who's been widely praised for, for his book, Empire of Cotton, last year. I mean, this was nominated for a Pulitzer. He's uh, been traveling around the world. And, and, and many historians that have been focusing on the connections between slavery, subsidizing the development of capitalism, have now come in, uh, to it with, the, with economists to have a different viewpoint on, on the connections between slavery and capitalism. And, and I seem to think that, that Beckert and the historians have it right that in terms of, of the history of cotton, and this book is not about the history of cotton, it's about the politics, but there is some history in there. And, and yeah, absolutely. So I'm not...
1: Uh... So if it really is the fabric of our lives, I mean, we're, you know, uh, your cotton is probably more sustainably sourced than the cotton I'm wearing. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, but maybe <laughs> maybe not. How, yeah. how and, I, and listen, I've, I've thought about this kind of stuff about social change and about mm. how, how do you get students to to never mind students how do you how do you get folks thinking about things differently Mm. and I think isn't that what what the academic world really should be all about you know challenging people asking those questions my background in philosophy I'm more interested in the question than the answer for heaven's sakes and yet you want it to lead to something practical so is it about a t-shirt made at the right place is it about a suit that has been sourced properly, or, or am I oversimplifying? Well, I think
0: this is the new, what you're talking about is is, is the new normal. If you just go on to Twitter and you look at, at the ethical supply chain conversations that are taking place with respect to commodities like cotton, um, you're going to see that there are big companies talking about sustainability in their supply chain. You're going to see small companies talking about how their, their sustainability in their cotton supply chain. and And... and community engagement and better lives for people. So it's not, so so you got big businesses talking about it and and they don't talk about it in the same way. They don't talk about sustainability or or development in the same ways as as smaller, uh, small medium enterprises that have different kinds of business models, social enterprises, uh, Mm -hmm. stuff that's come out of uh, philanthropic interventions, organic cotton, fair trade cotton, there's just a huge differentiation of what ethical even means when it comes to cotton. So I try to lay that out so that people at least have um, a tool with which to analyze, okay, so there's some politics here. I've got every actor in the cotton chain wants to present themselves as being ethical. And
1: how do I evaluate those claims? Why, why did it get so complicated? I mean, what little I know of it, and your book is really helpful, and, and, and what little I do know of of. Trade, I yeah. suppose. It, it's, I mean, I've, I've looked into the coffee, the whole coffee thing. You sure, know, second most traded commodity next to oil. Yeah. It's, it's brutal, right? What goes on and what doesn't go on. Speaking mm. of ethics, but. And it's Oh, yeah, well, yeah, the
0: complications, I think, come from uh, I mean, this, is, this is across all, all internationally traded commodities from the 1970s. There were concerted efforts by, within the United Nations system in the 1970s to create international commodity arrangements. So, so mechanisms for coffee, for example, that existed in the 1980s supply arrangements where countries sat down at the table that produced coffee with countries that imported coffee, and, and there were some discussions about price, there were discussions about quality. And, and this sort of happened or was, was floated to happen for cotton, but never really got off the ground. But the world changed, right? From the 1970s and the 1980s, you're, you're talking about a, a world with many more actors connected fundamentally across borders in new ways. So the internet, globalization, changed. Lots of new actors having an impact on the supply chain. In the 1970s, it wasn't the case that very many people were employed talking about making cotton work better for people or the planet. And this is a huge growth part of the the industry now. So I think you're talking about a profusion of actors. And that's the complication. That's the complexity. And I think there are some political economy theories. Robert Cox at, the, at York University, the eminent uh, international relations theorist, I rely on him a lot in this book to try to map out the specific changes in cotton that made it so complex. And then I try to speak about that complexity in a way that at least can I hope be understood by by people who are just trying to to, to you know make the make the make decisions uh, about cotton in their lives. In a yeah. few
1: years, I see the, the the updated version of this having a chapter called Trump Trade and Truth. <laughs> uh, I just I, I went there as you were talking about all of this and and mm-hmm. and, and started thinking about the subsidies uh, of mm-hmm. American cotton farmers and the right. billions of dollars and. and and you talk about Brazil, and there's some pretty interesting things that -hmm. that, that went on there, and the the, the payoffs almost in in the cotton industry, and happy to go there if you like, but you brought up globalization. So you Mm -hmm. say, quote, Um, And by globalization, I do not mean liberalization, privatization, deregulation, or other phenomena associated with now out-of-fashion market fundamentalism. You must have had your tongue-in-cheek for for while you wrote some of this. Globalization is about much more than the controversial basket of neoliberal economic policies that became known as the Washington Consensus or the Golden Strait Act, close quote. Yeah. So, So what... What, pray tell, is globalisation? Well, I think it's, it, I mean,
0: it's part of it is the cliché, faster, mm. smaller world. Mm. Far, uh, part of it is, is, is integration of, of, of people's lives across borders, so more intense connections mm. between people in different s- geographical locations around the world and more extensive, so more different, different kinds of connections. So Jan-Arch Schulte, who's a political theorist in, in the UK... Uh, for years, has been talking about this understanding of globalization being uh, much more than than deep trade, financial, or investment integration across borders. Adam,
1: typically, when people yes. say globalization, it's it's pejorative, it's negative. It's there's mm-hmm. a tone, right? Yes, but typically, yeah. That's not. What I'm hearing right now. No, I, I, I think,
0: I think that it's, it's, it's change. I mean, and, right. and it, and Good. it shapes yeah. Yeah, international development. It, it, it shapes the kinds of, you know, it shapes poverty reduction, inequality, and globalization isn't necessarily a bad. But when, when it's, when it's discussed publicly. Uh, oftentimes, people look at at economic integration as being equivalent to globalization, and I think no, no, no. There's there's a heck of a lot more going on here than than just that. Uh, so so yeah, I, I think it's, it's the tongue-in-cheek thing. I think we're trying to speak to. Uh, in some cases, the media, which is not caught up to this, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the idea that globalization is a much bigger fundamental phenomenon than, than people think at the surface.
1: And for those of, uh, folks who might care, was there a little jab at Thomas Friedman there in that uh, in that definition? Did well, you...
0: I, I, I think you know the, the Lexus and the Olive Tree was a pretty influential yeah. uh, attempt yeah. at a political yeah. economy analysis at the yeah. height of yeah. uh, of the Clinton era neoliberalism. Yeah,
1: yeah. So if it's the fabric of our lives. If it's you know splattered in blood, uh, what what can I do about that? What can what can listeners do about that? What can people who read Cotton do about that? Or for you, is it more about awareness?
0: Well, I think I think there are some some very simple. Uh, steps that, 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 that somebody could take as a consumer or, or a citizen. And I think those things shouldn't be mutually exclusive. Ooh, I think nice. you know, consumer citizens are, are an important part of the, the piece of, of sustainability and development in, in 2016, 2017 now. Do you feel like you've
1: sort of though given up something by calling people consumers at all?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, people have to clothe themselves. Yeah. And, and say you know, so sure. there, there is a debate. Um, I mean, the used clothing industry around the world uh, is, is is so massive. And and one of the one of the big things uh, that 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 many people often think, okay, if I if I give away my clothes, this is this is good. And An- right. a- Andrew Brooks in in England wrote a book the other the other year about clothing poverty and, you know, the, this used clothing trade, which is just dumping uh, tons of clothes I've heard, on developing I've heard countries. Heard that, of warehouses, that, like yeah, the, mountains of clothes. So I've I mean, heard so so years. one of the one of the things that you know, ethically, uh, morally, in your own life, you know, if I have too many clothes and I give those away. Do I know if those are going to be going to a country where maybe that country could be producing clothes itself? And now they're clothed in our old clothes. So there are lots of relations that are very difficult here. But it's even just going to the, the store or, or ordering something online. You know, how do I know that that cotton has met particular standards for sustainability, for uh, you know, reduced pesticide use or no pesticide use? Um, how, do I, how do I know? Well, you, labels, standards and codes. Organic production is competing directly right now with with a business, uh, industry-supported code called the Better Cotton Initiative. They are not the same thing many industry big companies are, are absolutely trying to convince the public that better cotton is, uh, is is more sustainably produced cotton and maybe we can grant them yes it is a little better than than uh, than, than large-scale monocultures with heavy pesticide intense uh, uh, operations uh, but I do think that uh, that you know organic is is a source of innovation and entrepreneurship uh, in cotton so so if if you are thinking like a citizen and you, and you're willing to to get away from price to not think about the price of your of the underwear that you're buying as the first priority to think about the quality of the say ingredients that went into those uh, underpants after
1: your book came yeah. out you tweeted I think that uh Mm-hmm. Made, made a crack about the the underpants of, was it of the WTO folks sitting at the table. So,
0: well, no, I mean, cotton has literally been under the pants of all politicians of world historical right, significance, right. and and that's the you know the, the reality is that if we need to think about our our our, our underpants. I mean, we mm-hmm. the, the the politics. I spend very of, yeah.
1: little time thinking about my underwear. Just, yeah. <laughs> just for the record. Yeah.
0: Well, it's. I mean, this is this is the reality of the world that we're in. I mean, yeah. now people are are, are are really paying attention to the coffee well, that they're this drinking. Is, and
1: Adam, right? isn't this globalization? Isn't sure. this one of the benefits that people mm. are thinking about their underwear in a way that they haven't before?
0: Absolutely. And there there, there are opportunities for, for innovative... Like Packed Apparel, for example. I'll just throw a plug out there. I mean, like, they've got... Uh, certified organic cotton underwear, you know, and you can you can see the difference and the quality of life uh, just you know, from the the presentation that they make on their website of the the families and in, in the community that are actually growing the stuff and how this is being produced. And I think that that that's the kind of innovation and in entrepreneurship which is really uh, you know enabling you know job opportunities that are uh, you, know, my, you know many times over the kind of job opportunities that exist on a large scale cotton monoculture for the bulk market. So know? for
1: you, is this I mean, this is so not an academic exercise, clearly, as as Mm. the book lays out and and, and as our conversation here is laying out. Is is this an ethical thing for you? I had dinner with a friend last night who's become a vegan. Mm. It's not ethical at all. Period. I mean, right. I asked him flat out, oh, yeah, no, it has nothing to do, you know. Mm-hmm. And he made some kind of deeply unethical joke. And, <laughs> yeah. and then said, no, it's yeah. all health. And, 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 and then later in the, after, uh, the evening, said made a comment about how, uh, yeah, you know, my grocery bill's gone way down. Oh, mm-hmm. great. So this is just about economics, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Excellent. Well, no, I, th- I think it's not about being sanctimonious. It's about right. actually trying to call out power. Power is is something that we don't really talk a lot about in the, in, in the mediascape right now. And, and actually paying attention to who has the power to control narratives on development and sustainability, you need the tools to be able to understand how your approach uh, to the world might be manipulated by large organizations. John Kenneth Galbraith famously wrote in the 1960s about the power of big organizations over the lives of consumers and the power of big, organi- big organizations to... Control uh, consumer decisions. And this is very controversial. Lots of economists didn't like it, but I think he had a lot going on there. And, and I in this book I tried to give, you know, uh, anybody that reads it the tools to be able to understand how they might be subject to manipulation or control. Is that
1: what you resonated with 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 Klein's no logo? I mean, I love this the way mm-hmm. you tell the story, but you know, I finally I took out the black magic marker and I, I, I <laughs> yeah. blocked with the, 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 yeah. the logo, the brand mm-hmm. on my jacket, mm-hmm. my Gore-Tex jacket. That's right. Believe, yeah. That's yeah, I should have. Yeah the dollar Gore- Gore- Gore-Tex yes, jacket. That's I, right. I couldn't help but laugh. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Gore-Tex is not a cheap uh, Yeah, it was
0: back in the in the 1990s, but absolutely. I yeah. think there was there was some resonance but you know William Grider as well. who was the <laughs> the old uh, editor of Rolling Stone, a uh, political economist in the US context. Uh, and uh, these these books at that time, I think were pretty formative. Um, you know, as a, as a young student without any kind of real you know future plan in in my mind, I, yeah, I was tree planting in Canada. I was bouncing around only, trying to trying to. How much to get, did you make per tree? 13 oh, it depends. <laughs> I mean, in Ontario at that time, it was about it's good money, man. You know, seven to nine cents a tree in Ontario, but BC, <laughs> you know, Vancouver Island in February, man, that was up to thirty. You
1: just seven to nine cents. A well, tree. the union that's the union
0: gigs you know. were, I think, a little uh, a, a little oh. more plush, but uh, yeah. That's
1: a lot of trees, man. You got yeah. uh, yeah, well, to plant the yeah 800 or nine hundred
0: thousand. I think I put in, but I mean that's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, peace, peace that's a campaign for something. Peacework yeah. basis, right? But uh, no, I think I think you know you're, you're mentioning you know the, the the political economy that came out in the 1990s, that kind of ultra globalization, anti globalization, Mond mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Barlow, Tony Clark. Uh, you know, there, there were a ton of of young people on university campuses across this country, and that's where I came. Came well, from and, and, in when, election. and wasn't
1: that a calling out of power, really? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I think I think the the implications of the end of the Clinton era in terms of the WTO in 1999, the World Bank protests in 2000, what happened in Quebec City, it, the following year around the Summit of the Americas, there were a lot of young people, Teamsters and Turtles, uh, coming with together with young people to think about the, the way the world was going and, and the, the kind of almost... Just the, the overwhelming contributions of, of just neoliberal economics or neoclassical economics to informing what leaders were saying at that time was very problematic for me. So I think there was there was a way, uh, and, that, and that comes out in the book mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. Where you know, so the, the,
1: is, is 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 there anything? Are there any passive commodities? What do you mean by that? Well, you refer to the idea that cotton not being passive and you know and the sense I got was you know every, everything we do affects somebody else. So so every purchase I make, every right. coffee that's not, you know, fairly mm-hmm. traded and so on has an impact on the economy, on globalization, has mm-hmm. an impact on others. It has an impact on men and women and boys and girls around the world and I think that's a way of for me anyway kind of injecting a little bit more humanity into mm-hmm. this idea of my purchases cuz uh, honestly, I kind of don't give a rat's ass about the underwear I'm Right, wearing. right, right, right. Yeah, but uh, clearly, I need to start.
0: Yeah, and this right? is this is this is the, the challenge I think from from younger generations of uh, of the last you know fifteen years and uh, Canadian university campuses. You know, fair trade coffee has been uh, the new normal for students to be, okay, yeah, I've got to make sure that I, that I drink that. And, and I think there's a, there's a genera- generational issue that's, that's happening here where, where, where students are coming out of university really concerned about how the world is working, especially those with a social science background, right. and thinking, okay, well, in my own life and the decisions that I make, how can I actually um, help others to lead lives that they might value more? And, and I think one of those ways is to, is to pay attention to the consumption decisions that you do make. Uh, and and that's, that, that's important for me. I mean, I, I, I know that you don't want to think about your underwear. And, and there were many arguments uh, in the late 1990s about, you know, if we do define all the problems of the world down to our, our socks and our underwear, maybe we're not going to get very far, right? right. Yeah, you know, we, might, we might miss the forest. We might get caught up right. in these individual right. trees, so to speak. And, and but I, I love
1: that notion of passive-active in the well, sense cotton, that... Well, cotton is
0: described a as, a, as a as a soft commodity right, by the industry, right? right, right? right. And and right. I, But it's the hardest to grow, and you can't eat it. I mean, so there's, yeah. there's even linguistic issues yeah. or term, yeah. terminology that's a problem when it comes yeah, to these things. The no, so. the,
1: that comment about how uh, the, the, I could taste the bitterness of the cotton in that, yeah. that line or that paragraph when you talk about that idea of not being able to eat it. Yeah. Is it pretty... And, 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 and it's... it's is it undervalued? No, it's not undervalued, but it's underappreciated? Is that a, is that a fair question?
0: Well, I mean, there are many other uh, substitute fibers. You right. know, it's not the only game in town. And uh, you know, hemp and, and linen, uh, wool, I mean, we don't necessarily need the stuff. Mm. There's an industry that's weaved up with maintaining the stuff in our lives. Uh, every uh, organization that, that moves cotton has an interest in maintaining it. And you can't expect an industry to, to produce information that's going to undermine the industry. There are, there are players within... I mean, when Neil Young you know, came out the other year and said, you know, I'm only going to be buying organic cotton, and, and he was immediately... Uh, demonized by, by high level consultants in the industry saying okay this guy is is trying to undercut the cotton industry uh, and he just was called out and, and raked over the coals in a bunch of industry publications for having the audacity to question the model. So there are many people with an interest in maintaining a very problematic status quo here and that's what the book
1: really focuses so on. So i spent, as you know, i spent a fair bit of time in Cambodia, uh, you know a lot of, I mean garment industry huge in Cambodia. In fact without it a lot of people would would probably starve. How how do you answer that I guess that conservative critic that says mm. well it's better than nothing. Okay.
0: Well I think I think different models for industrial production, are where development and sustainability will be achieved in the in the cotton supply chain over the next twenty years. So there isn't one solution. There is not. No, yeah. there are multiple, uh, overlapping, in some ways, conflicting approaches. Mm. I mean, the old the old large scale industrial model with with smaller hands, um, gender, highly gendered production systems with you know, lots nice. of worker insecurity. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Ballinger, the 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 anti sweatshop expert. Um, you know, has, has called this out since his initial studies in Indonesia in the 1990s. There, that is a model it's still in, in play in places like Cambodia, and people do continue to get their head knock, yeah, heads knocked outside of, uh, mm-hmm. of factories when there are strikes. And, and the challenge, I think, for, for cotton-producing countries is, is to figure out what ways that, that model is is past the use by date, and what new kind of more you know ethical, organic, and fair trade, uh, smaller scale, uh, craft type, artisanal scale uh, production might yield in terms of employment generation? So actually, um, I, I think there's a huge unrealized opportunity hmm. uh, at this Gross. point to to. To basically recreate uh, a, an industrial model for cotton that draws on artisanal uh, and, and is informed by, by craft industries and, and actually employs people in and not in the kind of factory drudgery context, and this could actually yield a way different cotton system.
1: What uh, I love, what I love about the book and about about our conversation is you don't, you don't. I'm sure you tend towards the cynical, mm. cynical from time to time. Yeah. How could you not when you're doing you know geopolitical analysis, but. Uh, you sound pretty hopeful.
0: Well, I think it, it, there, it, it's clear that, you know, 15 years ago, I couldn't walk into downtown Guelph, let's yeah. say, and find, find myself a pair of uh, organic jeans or, or socks. I, I couldn't go online and, and actually um, find detailed accounts of what 10 different uh, organic cotton operators are doing in terms of their community interventions, in terms of the price that people are being paid at the farm gate, in terms of the training women are getting to uh, actually uh, tick the boxes related to organic standards, and and how that has enhanced literacy and, and different approaches to uh, fertilization and, and pest control that don't involve agrochemicals. I mean, like the, the innovation that's taking place on, the, on some of these farms, this wasn't really mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. This is learning All by doing. All benefits of
1: globalization, too. To some Absolutely. Degree,
0: right? I mean, with, in the case of Tanzania's successful organic cotton cultivation, you're talking about Indian uh, and, and Swiss uh, consultants working together with Tanzanians to develop new approaches to compost, new approaches to trap crops. I mean, you've got in Tanzania farmers that grow organic cotton that that now can read, that have uh, sunflowers that trap the, the crops that would otherwise be eating their cotton. Um, now they have sunflower oil for sale. Now they have new kinds of botanical pesticides. So they're growing crops to use as, as pest control. Uh, it's incredible to see the changes that are taking place. So you can't be cynical. You can't, I mean, this is people working together across borders. So in and, and a lot of ways, globalization is, is really delivering us a more ethical cotton system, but the, the conventional bulk market stuff so is still a, pretty covered in blood. So, right? so
1: it's not just a matter of time, because really time changes nothing. Yeah. I mean, you've got to change opinion, you've got to go deeper. I mean, we're talking about our underwear, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, the, yeah. Things are happening, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's got to be more, I mean, this is about choice, mm-hmm. it seems to me.
0: Well, there are there are there are choices that, that that consumers do make, but again, like those those choices are subject to, to limits. So, for example, the Better Cotton Initiative, the industry supported initiative to make cotton uh, more ethical or sustainable, that uh, initiative basically enables companies that are part of it to to uh, produce advertising uh, in any way they see fit regarding the benefits of Better Cotton. Whereas, if it's organic there's a third party that's been accredited by an international accreditation agency to actually uh, evaluate whether the cotton that's in there has met standards for organic production so like the, the, the control systems for organic cotton are far superior but the uh, ability for for large companies to just say that they're they're, they're doing more ethical cotton um, without any of that kind of control system in place i think is, is still so happening so for the,
1: for the big corporations you can still make money and be ethical
0: well, some of them. I mean, H and M has got a lot of organic. Uh, I think at, at one point, even Sam's Club was was sourcing mm. a lot of organic cotton. Um, the, the numbers are uh, are difficult, like yeah, with all. Sure. Uh, yeah, to, to actually lock down, uh, but there's been a,
1: a pretty uh, pretty steady upwards increase. In it's America. such a tough call, you know. I mean, everyone loves to hammer Walmart and so mm. on, and yet uh, a company like this that clearly isn't going too far anywhere too soon. Mm. Uh, changes their fluorescent light fixtures and takes one lamp out of them and all of a sudden, you know, look at the environmental shift as a mm-hmm. result of that. And yep. so you kind of have to applaud that in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to applaud that. In no, incremental way. changes and yet, are important. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. and whether it's, uh, you know, uniform industry producers switching and saying, you know, we're going we're to use a different kind of, of, right. of fiber here. Uh, or fabric from a producer that has these uh, standards and codes sure. in place. Yeah. Yeah. This stuff is happening, and that's all good, as far as I'm concerned. But the it, what I what I'm I guess most fearful of is just the control that uh, that that empowered individuals within an, an industry continue to exert over the narrative about that industry, and the, and the kind of rearguard efforts. To, to brand cotton as, oh yeah, you know, cotton doesn't have any food problems. I mean, it's, the, right. the acreage under cotton is, is shrinking over time. And the reality is most of, uh, of the rotation crops of cotton are being rendered into biofuels. There is a food issue underlying conventional cotton. And organic cotton, you can grow that in rotations with many food crops. So the food security inherently on an organic cotton operation is enhanced for the producer and probably the community around it versus a large-scale monoculture operation. So we're
1: kind of back to the soft commodity yeah. critique, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is far more important than we realize, mm. a whole lot more going on than meets the eye. I mean, sure. that's one of the takeaways from your book, yeah. isn't it? That oh, sure. And, I mean, another, another
0: aspect of this is the financialization. I mean, and mm. this isn't just, this is cotton is just one little tiny piece of that. But the overall size of the industry has just been jacked upwards over the last 20 years with the, with the financialization. So, so, you know, companies that are uh, commodity traders are in many ways making much more money on the financial side, so uh, futures, options, um, speculation of, of direction of future price, uh, yielding uh, far more value for commodity traders than the actual physical trade itself. And this is the very difficult part of the book, the chapter uh, uh, where, where I'm dealing with, with finance. And this is uh, something that many others working on political economy issues have been attentive to. Yeah, And, and this is in the aftermath of the, the global financial crisis. Just the, the the sheer number, the volume of financial instruments just kind of outpacing the, the size of the physical trade and, and traders now having an interest in the, in the financial, side right. Right. of their businesses in a much more clear way, uh, driving their businesses than maybe the actual physical trade. This is a very difficult area. Uh, you, know, you, have to very, you have to tread very carefully. You can't, you can't make very large statements about it or claims without very detailed research and analysis, but it is a big problem, this uh, financialization of commodities.
1: You're, you're kind of talking about futures, are you know, mm-hmm. Sort of yeah. the, the digitization of mm-hmm. capital. Yes. In a sense. Yeah, right? in, in a lot of Fake ways. Fake trades. Yes.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, if you don't hold any physical asset and you can still trade in the futures, well, this is the, in, the industry wants to, to be able to do this. Of course. Yeah. And they you know, convince Commodity Futures Trading Commission to, yeah, that this is, this is the reality, that, that it should still be the position limits.
1: Who needs those, right? So, so freedom, choice, responsibility, ethics, uh, all of these kind of concerns. Sadly, we're going to have to wrap it up in a couple mm-hmm. of minutes here. But the, the these younger... People, uh, I can say that because of my age. But uh, you know, no. students coming out—you know—seem to care. The no logo folk. Mm. Uh, are they at some point just going to say, "You know, I have three kids now. I just, I just need cheap cotton. I, I'm going to go shop at, mm-hmm. at, at, at maybe Sam's Club." Or yeah. Well, this morning. is it. You I know, mean, like, so we, we, when you know, re, when the when the rubber meets the road, yeah. the financial challenges of, of raising a family—you know—does it does it go out the door, or do prices come down over time, mm. and it's. Well i mean they're, they're,
0: they're, you know demand and supply have mm-hmm. to have to meet here in the ethical market at some point, so mm-hmm. there will be much more supply coming on over the next five years. There's been a lot of Venture capital, I mean, the, even some of the Canadian banks have been fantastic in, in fronting a ton of money to organizations that are taking different approaches to, to everything from growing vegetables to making beer. I mean, they're, they're, mm. they're, there's a lot of opportunity for young people to, to, to pick, to actually develop business models and social enterprises to approach you know, sources of finance and say, hey, look, like this commodity, we can do this better. Mm. We can do this in a different way, and we can probably yeah. build our life around it. So I, I think in some ways... You know, we also, in the Canadian context, I mean, here we are he- heavily indebted <laughs> across the society, our mortgage debt, our consumer debt, it's big time. But we have that, we, ha- we have the financial capacity through debt to be able to make decisions. So when I was a, when I was a student, On student loans, I would still buy the more expensive fair trade coffee. I went into debt as a student to drink ethical coffee, and that was a decision that I made. That was kind of my normative, you know, political. I can do this because I have the access to capital, and everybody across this, you know, across this economy that has access to a loan can make that choice too. Even if you don't have any money. Um, you now that voting with your dollars is a big problem though, sure. because some people do have, and this is the other hand, you know, a, a lot more, you know, uh, votes related to there are a lot more dollars. Yeah.
1: So just before we wrap it up, why, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I would imagine most of the students here are not going into debt to buy fairly traded <laughs> coffee. Why, why did you?
0: Um, <clears throat> I think it was always
1: interested in on, on the drivers, what it what why, did, why do you end up running a, a non-profit working in water and sanitation somewhere in, mm. in, in, in uh, Malawi or, or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, what, what is it that, you know, is, is it incremental? Is it the subway conversation that we're back to, you know, coming back to it's those? It's
0: before that. I think it's it, it, it relates to uh, my time at, at Queen's University. There were a lot of young people thinking about the challenges of the world to... Mm. Uh, uh, Ken Weewa came to campus, uh, Marilyn Waring, the eminent uh, feminist economist from New Zealand. We just had an, an incredible array of, of guests. visit Cornell West came mm. I mean there were uh, One so, of my favorites. so there, were, there were there were a bunch of, of critical thinkers that arrived at, at Queen's when I was there, and that was formative for sure. I love
1: how uh, right, right in the first chapter you talk about uh, I think just the practical side of of I guess the challenges but also you know here it is quote you have a, you have in your hands a book on cotton that aims to push you to think about politics yeah so so maybe maybe you know back to my original question maybe it's not a book about cotton mm. at all. <laughs> maybe it's really a little more uh, subversive than the title suggests mm.
0: well i mean the 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 publisher was very happy that, that I'm pushing students to think through the sure. implications of the politics at all levels. So we're talking about cotton on the land and the politics of that, or whether it's when countries get their hands on this stuff, how do they advance their interests? When businesses have their hands on it, big businesses, how does that, you know, what are the politics of that? And and I, I, I do think there are some, you know, some messages that, that that are in there related to cotton that could be applied across the economy to other particular commodities or resources. There's no question. So, so yeah, maybe, maybe there is a little bit of that there too. There's a little, I mean, there's a political analysis, and, but there might be some politicking going on. But I think every... Uh, I mean, at least I'm straight up with my bias. Yes, and that's, yes, that's, yes. My, that's the big problem uh, um, with, uh, with, with scholarship that's, uh, that's been rooted in... Ar-
1: uh, arcane academic debates ringing a bell?
0: <sighs> yeah, yeah, that's it. So I think I think you know, being being straight up about your where, where the, the politics is situated in your own analysis. And then trying to, to peel that back and, mm-hmm. and, and and kind of through an analysis show where all this other politics is coming in. Um, at least I'm open with about it. And yeah, that's, that's that's frustrating true. when people aren't open about it's, it.
1: it. It's a fun book. It's a great book. Yep. The book is called Cotton, uh, Adam Snade, Associate Professor at the University of Well. Thanks for uh, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Well
0: thanks David, yeah, great, great show, you. thank you.